I'm devastatingly handsome. Did you know that? Well, thank you. Thank you. I know this because my mother, who's here today, tells me this. She's right back there, and she raised me right, and she tells me I'm devastatingly handsome, and that's what I am. And, that, and I try to pass that on. I try to get my wife to use that verbiage, too. And uh, Yeah, she's not my mother, so it hasn't worked just yet. But anyway, so... Uh, oh, thank you. That's so sweet of you. And uh, Pastor Jed is here today, too. He's off on hiatus. He was uh, going to just... We're just going to switch positions, him in the sound booth, me up here. But obviously, he can't handle it back there, so he's... He's, he's moved back on up here. All right, anyway. Well, tomorrow is the 4th of July, and uh, you know I'm a government teacher, and, and sometimes uh, you would expect that I might do a patriotic address today, and I'm kind of not doing that. I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, we do have in this country, you know, we have this guy named John Winthrop that uh, was one of the early Puritans, and he... He was trying to describe what he hoped would be the American vision, and he, he saw it as a shining city upon a hill. Has anybody heard that before? And then President Ronald Reagan used it, and other presidents have used it, and that kind of thing. I do firmly believe that this is a shining city on a hill, and uh, today, or tomorrow, we'll be celebrating, and tonight, uh, if you go to the fireworks and that kind of thing, uh, we'll be celebrating that day that we set aside as Independence Day when we... Uh, signed when they signed the Declaration of Independence, and we considered ourselves independent from Great Britain. Of course, we had to fight it out because they didn't exactly agree with that just yet. But so we did fight that out. And we did become independent. So the shining city upon a hill. I happen to agree with that. I really do. Uh, I think this is a, a, an incredible, marvelous country, and I know that that gets challenged quite a bit more uh, now and now as we go through. Uh, time, especially now, it seems like it's pretty heightened that people don't exactly agree with that. But I am one that is. And, and I mentioned this phrase because I was watching the news not too terribly long ago. And uh, there was an American journalist interviewing the British Prime Minister. Was it Boris something? I can't remember exactly what it was. But anyway, he was interviewing the, uh, what is it? Johnson? Okay, there it is. Boris Johnson. And he, he was interviewing him, and he was trying to bait him to bash the United States, a journalist was, about the abortion issue. And uh, Boris didn't have any of it. I loved it. He said, nope, the United States remains a shining city upon a hill and uh, a beacon of light and truth for the, for the world. Now, he did go on to bash the United States after that, because we have our disagreements. But I thought that was refreshing. The world still sees us in that way, and we have, to, we have to hold on to that. We have to fight hard to hold on to that concept. But anyway, it is a bit rough in the nation today. With all the challenges coming around, uh, Christians recognize a lot of these things. Apologize. And... Uh, but Scripture does assure us that this too shall pass. If you look at 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 up there on the screen, uh, for our present troubles are small. So today our troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now 
Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Now, that's very much what I'm going to be talking about today. Our vision, our sight in a worldly sight versus what is to come, what, what, what a true concept of beauty is. Actually, I'm looking at something called true beauty today. And how do we see that? What, how do we see beauty as opposed to God, how he might see beauty? And we're just going to talk about that today. So let's pray and, uh, and get started. Lord, we thank you so much for, um, I thank you for this opportunity to, to speak. I thank you for everyone here. And Lord, I, I, I just pray that uh, at some, some point, something that's said might trigger their interest, that might trigger them back into your word, might further and, and deepen the understanding they have of you and the relationship that they have with you. And Lord, if there are non-believers here, I pray that their hearts would be open, their eyes would be unveiled to the truth of you as Savior and Redeemer, Christ Jesus. Lord, I hope this is pleasing. Please take over this message as you took over the, the worship, and I was, that was so pleasing to us. Lord, we thank you so much, and uh, bless us. For Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so what is beautiful? Now, Nathan had some audience participation last week, so I can't be outdone. So it's going to be a little bit less strenuous than Nathan's. Uh, but all I want you to do, and you can close your eyes if you want, I just want you to picture some, what you consider some of the most, maybe the most beautiful thing you've ever seen or experienced. Just picture beautiful things for a while. And in order to do this properly, we need some mood music. Keaton, go. Sorry, Keaton, that's all the time we have for that. I'm sorry. But did you all picture something beautiful? Did you all, anybody want to share? What was beautiful? See, he made you share last week. I'm going to make you share this week, if you will. Yeah, go. Oh, you cheater. Oh, is that, that is so cute. Oh, happy birthday. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. All right, anybody else? What's beautiful? What's that? A sunset is beautiful. Anybody else? Say the newborn babies. Oh, yes, beautiful. Nah, yeah. <laughs> I see a couple of the gentlemen in the room saying they're at their absolute ugliest state in that moment of life. But nah, yeah, they're beautiful. What else? Anybody else? Every new day. Oh, by the way, that's my brother back there. My mother from, they came to North Dakota a thousand miles just for this moment. Okay, that's not really true, but there's other things. 
Yeah, national, national girls track coach of the year right back there, royalty. High school. Yeah, but anyway. Okay, thank you, Billy. Anybody else? Beautiful. Keaton. Mountains. Mountains. Okay, anybody? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Because that, that is beautiful. It's hard for us to recognize that, but it's beautiful. What else? Anybody else? People out of their way to help somebody else. Service of some kind. Anybody else? Yeah. My daughters when they were fathers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Well, you know what I did? I made some predictions as to what some of you... Uh, may have said and uh, may guess and I am obviously talking to a Christian bunch because you have a broader range of uh, idea I tried to bait you into what you think might be beautiful but some of you you, you know you already nailed it but let's let's look at what I predicted uh, the first one that this is these are all from the Jansen family archives um, so this is a sunset somebody mentioned a sunset okay the next one this is, this is nature, right? One of the most... Anybody been up to Hanging Lake? I bet most of you have, man. One of the most glorious places you can get to and see. It's just unbelievable. That's a drone shot from Kellen. All right, this is uh, uh, architecture. Nobody mentioned architecture, but does anybody walk into a temple or a cathedral, a Gothic cathedral, and just go, wow. Yeah, just your heart stops. It's just a beautiful thing. Another one, uh, there's family. Somebody mentioned that. The joy from family, from kids, that kind of thing. So we're playing there with seaweed. That's how we have fun. <laughs> What's next? Shame on you. We're in church. And nobody said Jesus. Where are the little kids? Oh, there aren't even little kids for children, or are they already gone? Maybe that's it. That's the church answer, right? Jesus. But, you know, we might be wiser than to fall. But there, there it is. Yeah, Jesus. That's a beautiful page. Oh, did somebody say a baby? That's my bride, I believe. She's naked. That's the only time I've seen this. I had to put that up. Okay, baby. Oh, see, in this one, I found this paint artwork is made to be beautiful. It's made to conjure our senses and, and, and make us think. Do you, do you guys see what this, what this painting is? What? Say it louder. Uh-huh. You're on it on the inside of the wave, so it's an event. Parting of the seas. And those are all the people coming through. I just absolutely love this. This is a Jewish artist, and I found this, and I thought, I am going to get me a print of that. And I found it, I looked it up. I am not going to buy a print of that. <laughs> Whew. Right, I'm going to have to get a big... I could buy a professional industrial copier for the price and make my own print for the price of what that is. All right, anyway. I got one more. 
Uh, I'm just checking. Did anybody have this image in their head when we were talking about beautiful things? Ready, say, go. <laughs> Thank you, Cade. Anybody else? Not even my mother. Maybe I was lying earlier. All right, anyway. Let's look at a brief description of beauty. And that's something that gives you pleasure. In and of itself, it gives you pleasure. Now, it, not for what it can do for you, because that's called utility if it can do something for you. But beauty is just something that gives you pleasure in and of itself. Most of the time, we see beauty as aesthetically. And that's what I was trying to bait you into a little bit. We see visions of things that are just beautiful. Aesthetics, the sight or senses that we, we experience with it, not the feelings, but the, but, but the senses. So something looks beautiful, a sunset, a painting, an attractive human or something like that. That's aesthetics. Now this is a pretty narrow view of beauty, of course, as you guys mentioned. And, and you might say that because of that definition that beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Like, I can see a rusty car as beautiful, and uh, the next person wouldn't see a rusty car as beautiful, and that kind of thing. But I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, uh, well, with another aesthetic, my wife sees me as de- devastatingly handsome, and I see her as the most beautiful woman on the planet. Nate mentioned that as well. I have a quick story about that. I was in teaching in class one day, and some girls came in, this is years ago, and the girls came in, and they were having a conversation in a previous class. It spilled over into class, and they asked me, and they said, Mr. Jansen, who is the most beautiful woman on the planet? And without missing a beat, I said, oh, that's easy. That's my wife. And the girls went, oh. And I knew in that moment that I had finally answered something correctly. To make an impact on somebody. And I, I just think that's so important for uh, adult men, Christian men, to stand up and to just show the appreciation for the beauty of their wives in front of young kids, in front of your children, that kind of thing. You just have to make that a practice if you haven't done it. Uh, is there anything cuter than the gray-haired couple walking hand in hand down on a... Oh, just it's an incredible picture for everybody to see that true picture of beauty all right so anyway true beauty so if we look at that eyes of the beholder concept that's kind of a a narrow vision of what beauty is in a christian world view we're gonna that's flawed thinking that there's an eyes of the beholder beauty is not in the eyes of the beholder beauty is fixed it is fixed Okay, we don't, we don't get, it's the same way as truth is fixed. Truth is truth. We as Christians, don't, no, we don't get our own truth. We don't get to make that up. Truth is fixed by God. He is the author of truth. Uh, we do not, uh, this, it's a postmodernist view to think that we get to decide what's true or not. And God is the author of truth. And the Bible gives us all the understanding that we need. He's the creator of heaven and earth, and he is the author of truth. He is the definition of truth. So we look at uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, 
that the man of God may be complete, everything we need to know, complete, equipped for every good work. So as there is a fixed standard of truth, there is also a fixed standard of beauty. So what's beauty? Well, God is beauty. God is the author of what's beautiful. God has divined, he has created beauty. Well, how can we see? God is beautiful, so his attributes are beautiful. You guys know about God's attributes. We've talked about this in the past. So here's a quick list of God's attributes. And uh, the first one's infinite, immutable, not changing, self-sufficient, omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, all-omnipresent, everywhere at the same time, all, all places, all times. Now, those are God ones. You know, that's a list for God. I'm not omniscient, as much as I tell my students I am. But I am not omniscient. I am not omnipotent. I, I am not those. Now, you can be self-sufficient to a certain degree, but none of us can truly be self-sufficient because we, apart from God, we're nothing. Okay, so we, we aren't self-sufficient either, truly. In a worldly kind of way, you can, you can be somewhat self-sufficient, rely upon yourself, and that's very attractive. Okay, uh, Somebody who doesn't need uh, that other stuff, obviously. Okay, but the rest of them are for you know, th- attributes that we could think about and work on. Not in the same way, of course, as God, but wise, faithful, good, just, merciful, gracious, loving, Ah, holy, we can work on that, right? We try to do that. We try to model Christ Jesus on earth uh, in his example that we can make ourselves pure, uh, purify ourselves and, and live a holy lifestyle as best we possibly can. But of course, we can't be truly any of these things and glorious. I've described a couple of people as glorious. I don't know if I've ever been described as glorious. Pretty sure not. All right, anyway, so, again, the first definition of beauty is something that brings us pleasure. There's a couple other definitions that I'd like to share. One is a combination of qualities that pleases the intellect or moral sense. Now we're getting away from that aesthetic sense in in our minds of what beauty is, and we think intellectually and morally something that gives us a clear sense of that. That's pointing more towards God. That's maybe pointing more towards a relationship between a husband and wife. As, as, as the relationship gets more mature, you look more to somebody that's morally and intellectually pleasing to you. Okay, and another definition of beauty is an excellent specimen or example of something. Now, that there's God. Okay, what could be more of a better and excellent specimen than the creator of heaven and earth. The definition of truth and beauty. That is as good as we can get. In Psalm 145, 16, Scripture says, you may satisfy the desire of every living thing. So that's that thing that gives you pleasure. God gives every living thing, satisfies their desires. In Zechariah 9.17, For how great his goodness and how great his beauty. Okay, looking a little bit more at aesthetics. 
There's also some physical descriptions of, uh, of appearance, which is to be taken that some things might be more aesthetically beautiful and some things might be less aesthetically beautiful than other things. And, and, and I'm not here to preach to you that we, we should not ever look at aesthetics and, and say that that is not how we should see beauty. That is, this is not a zero-sum game. This is, aesthetics are there for a purpose, and they're a blessing from God, beautiful things. But we just see things differently than we once did, and we once will, or soon will, hopefully. So, um, we, we, but we make beauty judgments all the time. So, for example, if you just think about these things when I, when I give you their descriptions. Think if you personally, aesthetically, if you are whatever, if you think that's a beautiful characteristic or not. So in the Bible, Samson was said to have long hair and strength. Strength might be beautiful. I'd, I never thought long hair on a guy was beautiful. I was kind of a snob that way. But, you know, I grew up in hippies or whatever. I, okay, I've given up a lot of that, by the way. If you have long hair and you're a guy, I, yeah, I'm, my, my judgment days are over. All right, anyway, that's not true, is it, at all, Edie? No, I just sinned, I lied to you. All right, anyway, King Saul was seen as tall. Okay, that's an aesthetic characteristic. Um, David was Rudy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. Okay, so he's just calling him out, handsome. So if David is handsome, then what about somebody else? Right? There's somebody that's less handsome by comparison. There has to be. If you call somebody something, then there has to be an opposite to that logically. Zacchaeus, short. That's all it said about Zacchaeus. Anybody find short beautiful? My wife is short. (laughs) Sarah, Rebecca, Bathsheba, and some others were described as very beautiful. Very beautiful. So then some other people are not very beautiful. But, you know, they are. And then Rachel, beautiful in form and appearance. Okay, now, in a human sense, this also is flawed thinking, but God uses it, obviously. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Okay, but does God look at beauty in humans in that way, aesthetically? Well, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not not look at appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. He's talking about David's brother here. For God sees not as man sees, for, God look, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So we often look aesthetically. God looks to attributes, to character, inward parts. Proverbs 31.30 Charm is deceptive, and beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. In inward parts. Beauty does not last in the way that we see beauty on this world, on this earth today, with our eyes. First Peter 3, 3 through 4, pastor just went through this. Um, Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles 
expensive jewelry or beautiful clothes. You should close yourself inside instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. So God doesn't, doesn't uh, judge the outward appearance. God judges the heart. God judges. In 2 Corinthians 5-7, through 7, walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, so herein lies the point of what I'm, uh, I'm getting around to today. We're, follow, we're called to follow and worship and serve God and to see beauty in the way he defines beauty as best we possibly can. We aren't to see only aesthetic beauty. We are to see attribute beauty. We are to see those attributes of God radiating forth through all of creation and see that as beautiful. Of course, there's a big problem with that. We can't do it. We can't fully do it. And you all know this is a, a speaking to a room of Christians. Our, our, we can't see true beauty in the way God does because our beauty is, our, our eyes have been veiled. We can't see it. So um, we as Christians know what veils true beauty from our perceptions, and it's sin. We're sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't escape it. it we, we can be the best person on earth as far as we're concerned, but God, we're not comparing ourselves to other people. We're comparing ourselves to a holy God, and a holy God cannot be with us as sinners. We have to be redeemed. We have to be changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, so we're just we're we're at a loss. We can't see it. Even as saved Christians, our eyes are still veiled in a way that we can't see the beauty, the true beauty and majesty of God. Now we have some benefits, but we don't. We can't do it. Okay. So, when did this happen? Well, the garden. Okay, the garden of Eden. So let's go back to Genesis. I'm going to focus kind of on humans and the fall and that kind of thing. So Genesis 1, 27 through 28. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Now stop, just cold stop. God created us in who? The image of who? God. What's God? Beautiful. God is the definition of beauty. Think some of that rubbed off on us? We were created in His image. We are beautiful. Okay? We are beautiful. And it's sin that tells us otherwise. Okay? Uh, He created them, uh, Him, male and female, He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And I don't know if I... and, And later He says, And it was very good. First thing he describes as very good. Okay? So we are the image of God. We are a reflection of God's beauty. Okay, now also then, uh, to, to put a finer point on it on those humans, on humans, Genesis 2.25, And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. Now let's think about that in the context of beauty real quick. 
and the beauty of people, the beauty of humans, and the beauty of all creation. Now, I think this shows the difference between God's view and our view, and what our view was when we walked with God, and what our, view, what our uh, definition of beauty is today. At this time, Adam and Eve saw true beauty. They walked in the garden. Their eyes were completely open to creation, to the beauty of creation. Okay? If the beauty was all around them, and it was them, and it was God. Beauty, true beauty. Okay? They walked in the garden, and nature was there for them. It wasn't dangerous to them. They walked in it. They were not afraid. Nature was there to serve them. Okay? Uh, this is just great. And they, they, um, two people were created by God, God's hand, given life by his breath. Now think how aesthetically, in our view, how aesthetically pleasing those two people and all of creation must have been. There was no lust, which is a sin. They did not covet, which was a sin. They did not have pride. They were not ashamed. A sin. Okay, pride. A sin. They were immersed in the splendor of God's divine attributes. That's really cool to think about that. And then, of course, we as Christians, we know the... The rest of the story. We know about the fruit and the fall. And I'm not here to put this on you ladies, but okay, we'll leave that one to pastor. But anyway, <laughs> now, <laughs> now the fall was not only, one thing I want to say is the fall was not only the fall of man through original sin, the fall was all, nature was caught up in this fall. This was the fall of nature as well. Okay, so now we should, we should be able to quite understand this pretty easy. All of a sudden now nature is in opposition to man. If you, if you don't believe that, if you're one of those that nature is all good and we, we just destroy it and all that, yeah, go, go walk naked up on the Grand Mesa someday and just walk around and hang out for, for an afternoon. You, you know, go, go, go try to cuddle up with your neighborhood black bear that comes around here coming up pretty soon. Okay, you'll find out nature is plumb not hospitable to man. Not anymore. We do not live in nature as true beauty anymore. We are in opposition to nature. Okay, in a lot of ways. It's sinning, we're sinning, all of it was caught up in original sin. Okay, so anyway, page turn. All right, it also had an impact, a direct impact immediately on Adam and Eve, and that's something I want to point to too. Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Okay, now there's another way. There's eyes open to sin. Okay, eyes open to their pride. Eyes open to their lust, maybe. Eyes open to those things. But what really happens, we, were, we had our eyes veiled from, what beauty, from the beauty of God. The glory of God. We no longer had that relationship with Him. It was broken. Okay? So, that has to be restored. 
Okay, Romans 8. Uh, wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. So again, um, there's. let's look back at Adam and Eve and the aesthetically pleasing people that they must have been. And all of a sudden, uh, they are... Uh, probably two of the most aesthetically pleasing people of world history created directly by God's hand in the direct image of God and they're ashamed and they cover up. What chance do we have when we stand in front of the mirror? I got no chance. I got no chance. You do, we just don't see it uh, the way that God sees us. Okay? So that's, that's like Hollywood celebrities and stuff. You know, we consider them some of the most beautiful women and men on the planet. What are they doing all the time? Correcting themselves with plastic surgery? You know, they're not, they're not okay with their looks. You know, none of us are. It's sin. We don't see the true beauty within us, which is God. Romans 8, 18 through 21. This is an example, or this is a scripture pointing to how nature was caught up in our fall. Okay? So, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, so now, are not worthy to be cared, compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us when Christ returns. Okay? For the ancient longing of the creation waits eagerly. Creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in how the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now that word him in there, because of him, that's a that's where Christians can disagree. I read some, I tried to figure out. So it says uh, that the creation, well, it's a little earlier, but anyway. But because of him who subjected it. So who subjected it to sin? And some people say, well, that's God. And some people say, well, that's Adam. And, uh, you know, uh, believers can disagree on, on some of that. It really doesn't change it. Okay? We are, we are sub- nature has been subjected to our judgment, not willingly. Okay, and we're all waiting for Christ's return. So, okay, so as Christians, we, we're, we're veiled, we get it, we're sinners, we can't see God the way uh, God is, and we try desperately to get to know God and to have a relationship with God, uh, but can we do some things to discern what beauty actually is? Can we discern what true beauty is? And, and Scripture certainly gives us some guidance in this area. First of all, as Christians, we're given a helper. We're, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who offers us some guidance in seeing God's creation of, in a proper light. And of course, how do we see, uh, how do we receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, that's through uh, the saving grace of uh, Jesus Christ that we believe in him as our Lord and Savior, and he saves us, and he sends the Holy Spirit to indwell us, and that's how we, we have a relation. So that's how we can restore that sinful nature that we have, that, that, that a holy God can be with us through the, through the crucifixion, the death and resurrection of his Son. 
We can't do that ourselves. There's no way for us to work our way into heaven. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, very clear. For by grace you have been saved. Grace, a gift. Through faith. This is not of your own doing. This is a gift of God. Not the result of works, so that no one may boast. So there's no way we can get there alone. We can't do it. We need to believe in Jesus Christ, and then we can restore that relationship with God our Father and have life eternal when he returns on this earth. And we can see that true beauty. All right, so, uh, so Jesus Christ is our, our example, our human example of beauty. So let's look at Hebrews 1.3. And he, now this one, how is it written up there? Okay. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So God does. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So this is attaching Jesus as sharing the exact nature of God the Father. So if God is the definition of beauty, we also see beauty in Christ. Christ is the definition of beauty as well. So then that begs the question, this whole thought process of this particular message that I've been thinking about came from a question. Do we know what God, what Jesus looks like? Is there anything in Scripture that tells us what Jesus... You guys say, yeah, we know. We just saw a picture up there, right? Yeah. Is it a photograph? Yeah. No. I, I mean, we have some understanding. There is something in Scripture that says what Jesus looked like. You know, all the other stuff... And actually, most of them. I did found one, find one painting. I didn't put it in here, but that I thought was a pretty good representation of who Jesus could have certainly been. But we don't know what Jesus looked like. And I'm pretty certain he didn't look like that guy that we showed up there. That guy's handsome. Okay, let's look at Isaiah 53.2. Here's our insight into what Jesus looked like. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was a regular Joe. He was just an average guy in the crowd. That Jesus they use in the, in the movies and stuff like that, that guy's good looking. And he can draw people. And this is the beauty of that concept. You know people draw them, people to, other people to themselves by their good looks. Have you, have you experienced that? I certainly have. <laughs> Doors open for the beautiful people, right? And people revolve around them. And that's not bad, by the way. That's not, I'm not saying that's sin. That is a gift of God that's utilized for God's glory. That can be utilized. But Jesus didn't have that. How did he sell himself? And the only way we're supposed to look at beauty in a human is attributes, his character. Of course, he was God. That helps. But he, he didn't reveal that for a long time, right? He had to prove himself 
through his attributes, through the attributes of God. And people were attracted to him by that. Not because he was this big strapping fellow who went out there and had some physical gift or, or some beautiful face or, or height over everybody else or anything like that. No. We wouldn't, nothing we'd take a second look at. Nothing we'd take a second look at. That was Jesus. All right. So, uh, oops, sorry. So, he was common. The beauty of Christ is not in his appearance, but in his moral beauty, his holiness, his love, etc. Remember that God looks to the inward parts, and we are commanded to do, this, do the same. Okay, so that's one hint, or one thing. We can, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We can have some insight into what beauty is, what true beauty is. Another way we can do is we have some instructions in Scripture, and there's many places where there's instructions, but one of my favorites, of course, is in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is God telling us the attribute beauty that we should dwell on. What should we be thinking about? What should we be going about our day looking for? What should we look for in other people? What should we try to work and strengthen in ourselves? These things, these attributes. There's not one thing up there that says a perfectly upturned nose or a long neck or uh, whatever you might find Attractive. I don't know what they are. Okay. All right. So these are the attributes of God simplified for us to guide us to beauty. So as we close today, don't take anything that I've said to infer that Christians shouldn't enjoy or recognize aesthetically beautiful things. Scripture has numerous examples. I've pointed to some already. Another one directly is when God had the temple built, he gave them very specific instructions. He inlaid it with gold, all that kind of stuff. It was to, be, it was to represent visually the majesty of God. And that's it. He gave it. He directed us to do that. So it's not that these aesthetically things are bad. They are to be used for God's glory. And that's, that's the difference. Okay? Um, we are also attracted to our spouses. It's a, you know, initially because they're very easy on the eyes and we, we have an aesthetic attraction to people. And that's not an evil thing. That's a good thing. Attractive people have doors open to them. That can be used both ways. <laughs> for good and for ill, as we all know. Beauty is from God. And man is rightly preoccupied by beauty. It's a powerful sign to us that God is good. But we also have to acknowledge that true beauty of creation is currently veiled from us. Even the beauty that's in us is veiled. I've mentioned that. So we often look at ourselves with disdain. This is not the way we're to look upon ourselves and it's sin. It's hard not to do it. But it is sinful. It's pride, it's arrogance, it's it's everything. Okay? 
And we are not to look at ourselves in that way either. Okay? Psalm 139, 13 through 14 says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. We know that that's the truth, that we are defined by our attributes, that God created us in his image, and we are beautiful. Okay, so let us discipline ourselves to look for beauty in the way that God directs us to. Through his attributes, and pray for Christ's return and the restoration of true beauty. Pastor Jed is now going to lead us in communion.